Hey everyone, and welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place to keep up with the crazy world of men's volleyball in an especially crazy time right now, given that we have the biggest tournaments in volleyball of the past five years, the Olympics going on. I'm here today by myself, just me, Dan, today. No Rob, unfortunately. But I'm here to bring you kind of a mid-tournament update of the Olympics as of the recording of this podcast. We are done three of the five pool phase games. So I'll talk about that, talk about the situation in each of the two pools, who's likely to qualify, who's playing well, who's not, what are some underrated, unearthed storylines that no one else is talking about. That's why we're here on the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast. And if you guys want to hear me and Rob talk even more about the tournament after the pool phase is done, tune into the CV European Volleyball YouTube channel at 5 o'clock European time on Friday. That's 11 a.m. on the East Coast in North America, 8 a.m. on the West Coast. And you guys can join myself and Rob live to talk about the Olympics, more from a European perspective. But if you guys come in the chat on the European Volleyball YouTube channel, we are going to have some great chats about the Olympics and hopefully some good news for our teams heading into the playoffs. Anyway, no more time for intro. There's too much sports to watch, too much volleyball to consume. So let's catch you guys up and talk some volleyball, starting with Pool A. So I'm going to talk about these teams in no real particular order, but I'll start with the one that I'm sure a lot of you guys are listening to the podcast for. And that's going to be Canada. That's why we're starting with the home team to start off the podcast. Not the best tournament, to be honest, from Canada. I'm not going to say it's the absolute worst case scenario because this morning we woke up to some great news here in Europe that Canada had defeated Iran 3-0. Very solid, very comfortable win. So that you know might save Canada's Olympic season. But overall, standing at one win, two losses against Japan and Italy. Both of those pretty tough losses. The, uh, Italy up 2-0, looking very good against a tough Italian team with um, no Gianelli, but they had Zaitsev, Wantarena, and then losing three in a row to the, uh, the prodigy, the unicorn Micheletto, and then Japan. Maybe I underrate Japan, but I still feel like Canada should match up well with that Japanese team. A good blocking team in Canada should be able to slow down, shut down, Nishida and Ishikawa but it didn't happen and let's look at why Canada's not doing as well as maybe the talent level of the team implies. The first main thing digging through the numbers that I found is that Canada cannot serve. Canada is the worst serving team in the entire Olympics. Worse than Venezuela, worse than Tunisia. Opponents are passing well on 66% of Canada's serves. So two-thirds of the time that Canada goes up to serve, opponents are in system. And against teams like Poland, against teams like Japan, you're not going to be able to slow them down that effectively, even if Canada is one of the better block defense teams in the entire tournament. They are serving like 1976 lollipops. Like there is no service pressure at all. Not even a lot of aces. Shawan's the only guy on the team even tr like starting to get aces. And while our air percentage is low at 16%, I mean, there's teams that are lower, like Brazil's at 12%, and they're <laughs> serving a lot tougher than we are. 
So I'm not sure if this comes down to a coaching uh, strategy, if it's nerves for the guys, what's going on. But yeah, the service really isn't there. And, you know, it's really tough if we're getting free balls on 66%. If we're missing on 16%, do the math, guys. 82% of the time Canada goes up to serve that we're going to have a real tough time getting points. And, you know, those break points are so valuable, so valuable. And it's it's tough to win when you're not getting any of them. And that's that's kind of shown with Canada so far. So I would say that's like that's like 80% of the issue for Canada. The other stuff is, is a bit of a result of that serving inefficiency. Um, some of our wings are not playing as well as their usual selves. Ryan Sclater and Shawan Vernon-Evans, especially the two opposites, barely gotten any production from those two guys, uh, at least in terms of hitting. Sclater, 20% efficiency. Uh, Shawan, 24% efficiency. Which is too bad because the idea with those two guys is that okay maybe neither of them are the top tier a plus opposites but at least you have two very solid guys and especially Sclater, who i've said on previous podcasts is more of the consistent force so if shawan you know if shawan's hitting that 25 26 efficiency not being able to terminate on balls then you have a guy in ryan Sclater who's not gonna be an amazing player he's not gonna get you a ton of points probably not even the first option on offense but at least he's able to steady and hit out of system balls consistently and not make too many mistakes, but he hasn't really even been able to do that so far. And the other wing that's not playing well is Stephen Marr, who I don't know what's gone on with him since the beginning. Basically, beginning of 2020, he really hasn't strung together that many consistent games. We saw him obviously be on the bench this year in Milano. And right now, he I'm not sure what's going on, but clearly... Uh, Coach Hogue sees some issues with him too. Usually I would be automatically, Stephen Myers is a fantastic player, would start him for sure over Hogue. But given the way he's playing, uh, hitting extremely inefficiently, not blocking that well, not serving that well, I, I don't really see any reason why, he, honestly, why we should even test him out the rest of the tournament. I think, I think that's another issue with the team is that Coach Glenn Hogue is probably trying too many lineups. I think that Canada just needs to stick with a lineup. TJ Sanders, Shawan Ver- Vernon Evans, Graham Vigras, Lucas Van Berkel, Gord Perrin, Nick Hogue, Blair Ban, and that's our lineup. No subs, end of story. Because maybe, I think this might have something to do with the, the nerves, is that I feel like a lot of people on our team are so afraid of getting subbed out, and I feel like maybe you see this a bit with France too, that they're afraid to make mistakes, so they end up doing like these easier serves that... Okay, you're not making a lot of errors, but you're not executing a lot of points too. And I think you you even see that in attacking sometimes as well, where they're not attacking as well as they could have. And maybe the efficiency looks okay, but the attack percentage isn't there. And just about the only thing I would say (laughs) is good news for Canada is Gord Perrin's playing, you know, like Captain Canada, playing like a all-star. I guess there's no all-stars in volleyball, but he's playing at a really high level, like one of the highest level outside hitters at the entire tournament, I would say. And TJ Sanders, nice to see him back. He's made some really good plays, a few plays that you know show flashes of the old TJ Sanders. So those two things are good. Um, I don't really see. I know I didn't see Canada as a contender going in, and obviously, I still don't see them. I think at this point, getting into the playoffs would be a nice, uh, a nice win for Canada. And this actually might be a good time. Probably should have done this at the beginning, actually, but to break down the situation in pool e and see what we're dealing with in terms of who's going to make the playoffs who's not going to make the playoffs etc so basically in pool a poland and italy i would say are more or less 
almost guaranteed to go through. Obviously, Italy is only at 2-1 and one right now, but they do have one remaining game against Venezuela. So if they take care of business there, win like their 3-0, then Italy will probably be through. Poland as well. I don't think there are spots guaranteed yet, but with, you know, Poland's probably going to win their last two games against Japan and Canada. So I would all but guarantee they are through as well. And that leaves two more spots for Pool A. And this is where things get interesting because Venezuela is out, obviously, 0-3, not a competitor at all. And it comes down between Canada... Japan and Iran but the way the pools worked out it's actually more of a competition between Japan and Iran than anything because Canada plays Venezuela tomorrow or the day after depending on when you listen to this podcast but assuming they take care of business there and win three nothing and again given the way Venezuela's played I don't see them as a dark horse upset throw teams off contender at all Canada will finish with a 2-3 and three record, assuming, again, they lose to Poland, and 7 points. And that actually will probably be enough to get the 4th place spot in the pool because here's the situation for Japan and Iran. Japan plays Poland the same day that Canada plays Venezuela, July 30th. Uh, I'm fairly sure they're going to lose that game 3-0, 3-1 because I think Poland just matches up so well with Japan, the size... And Japan's not able to beat them on serve, maybe like they did against Canada. They're not able to beat them on defense, maybe like they do against other teams. So I, I think Poland, just the huge size advantage, the huge hitting advantage, and you know their right side blockers, especially Kurek, are probably good enough to limit Ishikawa, which has been an issue for teams in the past. And that same day, Iran plays Italy. And again, given the way that Iran is playing, I don't see them taking points off of Italy as well. Now, obviously, this is a lot of assumptions, but let's let's stay with it here for a bit, assuming that Iran and Japan lose. That brings us into the last day where Japan and Iran play each other. So that would mean Iran and Japan both sitting at 2-2. Two and two. Iran would have 5 points, Japan 6 points. So whatever team loses, if they lose 3-0, 3-1, they would be behind Canada's two wins and seven points, giving Canada that fourth spot, the winner of Japan versus Iran, the third spot, and the loser, the fifth place spot out of the playoffs. Again, a lot of assumptions. Japan and Iran both have to lose to Poland and Italy respectively, but in my opinion, unless those teams are throwing those games, especially given the way we saw Italy play uh, today really strongly against, against Japan, I... I really don't see there being that big of a chance for an upset. And then the only way that gets messy is if Iran wins 3-2 so that um, Japan, Iran, Canada all have seven points, in which case we go to set score. And I haven't looked into it that far, that deeply yet, but uh, maybe after tomorrow we can, you can go check that out because that, that could potentially get, get quite messy. Anyway, that's a situation in Pool A, and you know, actually looking at it, Canada has a pretty good chance of winning after that was a, that was a huge win against Iran. I don't know if Canada deserves it after the way they've been playing so far, but you know, believe it or not, still a, a really solid shot of getting to the playoffs, where I'm sure they'll get absolutely bounced by by ROC or Russia, but um, we'll see. Anyway, on to the rest of the teams of Pool A. Going to be a bit faster with these ones. We're already at over 10 minutes here, but Japan. Again, played very well against Canada. Just lost against Italy today, but I would say Japan probably a stronger performance than uh, most people are expecting. And it really comes off the back of three players, I would say. Firstly, Yuki Ishikawa has been 
balling out of control. He's been insane. Like one of the best outside hitters of this tournament. Incredibly impressive what he's able to do. And Yuji Nishida is another guy who's played a very big role, very important role, played pretty well for Japan. But there's still, in my mind, there's a huge gap between the level of play of Ishikawa and the level of play of Nishida. Ishikawa is, I mean, essentially a lot better at everything except for serving. Where I'd give, I'd give the edge to Nishida there, but I feel like the perception of fans is not accurate to the level of play of the player because Ishikawa is legitimately an elite outside hitter, one of the best in the world. And Nishida is a very good opposite, you know, probably going to start in uh, Italian League A, probably going to do a good job, probably going to be, you know, top 10 scoring on very um, pretty good efficiency. So Nishida is a very good player too, but I think they're not, they're not really in the same tier, whereas I feel like people put them in the same pairing, which boosts the image of Nishida in people's mind and drags Ishikawa down, where in reality, uh, it's pretty different, I would say. Anyway, Ishikawa's hitting about a third of Japan's balls, hitting 40 5% efficiency with just like a gigantic usage. I mean, Japan's offense is essentially just Ishikawa and Nishida. Those two guys together are hitting like well over half of uh, Japan's balls. Crazy. I mean, we know their middles aren't the strongest. We know Ron Takahashi, not the strongest in offense at this point in his career either. And actually he's looked quite, quite bad. Looked out of sorts there. There was especially, I remember one, one sequence against Canada where I think he got blocked like five or six times in a row. He'll get there for sure. I mean, he's a great prospect. He's playing at the Olympics as a teenager, I believe. And, you know, he brings it on defense and passing. And that's what he's in there for. But uh, definitely a lot to work on in terms of offense. So uh, anyway, kudos to Ishikawa for actually carrying Japan to a very strong offense. One of the better offenses in the tournament, almost single-handedly. Um, another, the third big player I want to talk about is Yamamoto, the libero that we were introduced to uh, to a lot of people. I know I was mainly got introduced to him in VNL. And he's been sensational for Japan so far, passing extremely well, helping run that super efficient, super precise offense. Not the fastest offense, actually, but still very precise. And uh, leading, or almost leading, the uh, entire tournament in digs. He's one of the few liberos with above 20 digs so far. I'll mention the rest of those as they come, but keep it in your mind. Maybe guess at who the rest of those guys are. And I guess the last point with Japan is that, you know, Onandera, the middle, is actually playing serviceable volleyball, which is just about the most you can expect from their middle. He's actually blocking a few balls, being a bit intimidating at the net, you know, attacking pretty efficiently. So Onandera, well done. Uh, you know, not a great middle, but you will definitely take that if you're Japan. Next team up, Poland standing at 2-1. and one. Uh, Going to make the playoffs, I believe, and there's maybe like a 0.001% chance. It was a tough start to the tournament for Poland, losing to Iran in an absolute shocker. One of the first games, if not the first game, no, Canada versus Italy was the first game, but it was fairly early on in the first day where, where Poland lost to Iran, which is crazy to think about, especially given the, the gap between those two teams in terms of talent level, kind of the downward trajectory that Iran seemed to be on during the VNL, the, the upward trajectory that Poland seems to be on, placing in second, in the VNL when it seems like they weren't even trying that hard. Anyway, they've bounced back since then, had a, you know, bounced right back with a very strong statement win against Italy. You know, they're like, okay, that's that's not going to happen. This is not happening to Poland. It's not going to be like a repeat of 2016. We're here to win the Olympics. We're a contender. And they showed that absolutely dismantling Italy without Gianelli. 
Kubiak and Semenyuk are both hitting above 50% efficiency for Poland, however, which is crazy. Great job by them. But also, Kubiak looks like he has been injured for a lot of this tournament. Uh, missed a few of the games. And when he has been in, he's been like float serving. He's looked a little rough. Still hitting well when he when he gets the ball. But, but we'll see. That's going to be a big question mark for Poland going forward. And you know me, I'm Overall, definitely way more critical of Michal Kubiak than most. If it were me, it would be starting probably Wilfredo Leon and Camille Semenyuk next to each other. And, you know, I still believe that given uh, <laughs> Leon's serving, even if he's not hitting the best right now. And Semenyuk's just overall ridiculous numbers. But Kubiak has actually impressed me so far. He's played well while he's in. And, you know, I wouldn't start him, but I don't think... If you tell Hanan really has a choice, we were talking in the uh, Volleyball Source Discord. By the way, message me if you want to join that Discord. And apparently the word was going around on the Polish volleyball forums that um, Kubiak basically just tapped Vitel Hanan on the shoulder um, during their most recent game and said, hey, Vitel, I'm going in. Didn't like ask, didn't even tell Vitel Hanan that he was planning on playing today or was healthy. And Vitel Hanan made the switch. That's the kind of like influence that's a kind of lead, like i'm not leader but that's the kind of pull he has with the polish national team like right now he's i mean he's on the one hand he's such a great player he's such a force of personality extremely strong personality that i think if like vital hanen tried to bench him and he didn't want to go on the bench i think he would just like stay on the court and they would fight like i don't think i don't think hanen actually has that much of a choice so we'll see poland uh i mean shaky start against iran but they're playing extremely well leon is serving aces on 13% of his serve so far. Not as much as the 30% from VNL, but still uh, definitely the highest in the tournament. <laughs> Opponents are passing 20% good passes against Leon. So basically when Leon's back to serve, it's either an ace or the opponent spraying the ball into the corner. And overall, Poland's just a very strong serving team between Leon, between Mateusz Biniak, between Kubiak, between Kurek, they've just got a really tough Kohanovsky. They've got a really tough lineup of guys who can really bang the ball and usually put it pretty precisely too. So opponents are passing 42% against Poland good passes, which you know contrasts to Canada with 66%. So you can see uh, that can result in a very different level of play. And the other thing about Poland is only making errors on 19% of their serves. So keeping the errors fairly low while keeping the opponent's passing low as well. That's a deadly combination. And if they can keep up that up, that's a pretty good indicator of things to come. Those are very strongly correlated with winning volleyball matches. For Italy, 2-1. Again, big win today against Japan. That would have been a little dicey had they lost that one to the Japanese team. Italy's been a bit of a weird team so far as they tend to be a lot of the time. They're the only team that we didn't really see in VNL sending Micheletto plus the uh, rest of the... I believe Micheletto and maybe Spertoli was there were the only players that played in VNL that are in this Olympic roster. So we hadn't seen these guys play together very recently between Osmani Wantarena, Simone Gianelli, Massimo Kalachi, Ivan Zaitsev. And so far it's been a bit of a mixed bag as to how well they are performing. Interestingly enough, they're one of the best offensive teams in the tournament, even 
even though Gianelli has missed significant time, which is one of the, the biggest stories of why they were underperforming at the beginning, but still hitting 44% efficiency as a team, I think is actually like one of the highest marks of the entire tournament. That's crazy. And it's even crazier given the fact that Ivan Zaitsev is putting together one of the all-time worst Olympic performances, at least to start this tournament, hitting 19% efficiency on the season so far, on the tournament so far, which is, as you guys know, 19%. That's unbelievably bad. He's hitting 24 for 48, but he's also made errors on 12% of his attacks. So that's those two combined, not able to score, getting blocked a lot, making errors. Nothing's really going right for Ivan right now, which is a little strange to me because he actually had a really good season in Russia. I know not all of you probably followed the uh, Russian Super League this year, but he was playing pretty well for Kemerovo, hitting, you know, uh, 40, close to 40% efficiency, was one of the league's leading scorers, had a decent number of aces. Maybe not prime Zaitsev anymore, but certainly expected more than this out of him. But, you know, they've bounced back despite that. Mikaletto is hitting an insane over 50% efficiency. 42 of 73 attacking. Oh, man, it's okay. Mikaletto session here for a sec. Unicorn of volleyball playing unbelievably. And, you know, the criticism of him all season, not that really was much of a criticism because he was a teenager starting on a super finals team, <laughs> that spot that he earned the hard way. But he's basically okay. He's a really good passer. He's really tall. You know, he can put up a big block because he's tall. But the rest of the skills are still yet to develop. But he's good because, you know, there's not a lot of guys who are close to seven feet tall that can pass. And, Given the fact that he's an outside hitter and he's not even 20 years old yet, that's a pretty rare combination to find. But he's already taking it to the next level in terms of offense, which is mind-blowing to me. And I, you know, I kind of expected this a little bit because he actually did have pretty good athleticism for his size. But the way he's putting it together, going around blockers, going over top of blockers... He already has pretty good decision-making in terms of when to tip, when to tool, when to go for the kill. He has pretty good block sight. He can see the double blocks coming. I mean, this guy, if he, if he continues to develop like this on offense while also giving you the passing and the size, like, I, I don't know if I'm crazy, but I think Mikaletto could be the best, like, volleyball player in the world one day. Maybe, like, once Leon starts getting older, once Mikhailov starts getting older. I mean, let, let me know, guys. Is there anyone else you really think that has the same level of potential as Mikaletto. Maybe, maybe I'm jumping out ahead here, but he, he has been like Italy is one of Italy's best players, and he's still a teenager, and he already looks twice as good as he was when he was playing with Trentino. Couple more points with Italy after I get over my Mikaletto crush. Um, Gianluca Galassi has been the most efficient attacker in the Olympics so far, hitting 70% efficiency. Very well done by him. I've you know I've actually always liked him. Because I've watched a lot of him play in the Italian Super League. Definitely more of the offense first middle. But he doesn't look very athletic. But he man is quite quick. He has some good patterns that he likes to run. Throws off blockers. And has quite the arm swing. He really gets dug ever if he has a good contact on the ball. And likes to, likes to play some pretty sharp angles. Also, Italy, one of the best defensive teams in the tournament. 78% uh, dig rate. Which I believe means that on 78% of rallies that... They'll at least get one dig in, which is really good. I mean, Italy is always going to be a really high ball skill team. They're just, 
Brazil, Italy, Argentina, uh, Poland probably is like this too. A lot of like the volleyball countries. They're, I feel like their players just grow up just you know, being around volleyball so much more than places like the U.S. and Canada that they have just so much more of a natural instinct for being able to, you know, just pop balls up, stick an arm out, stick a stick a leg out, get a ball up. So Italy, digging is going well, attacking's going well, blocking, serving could be a bit better. Iran is a team I'm a little bit confused by because they had that fantastic win against Poland in the first game, shocked the volleyball world with that one. You know, then, you know, whatever, beat Venezuela, nobody cares. Lost to Canada 3-0. So a bit of a turnaround going from beating Poland to losing to Canada. And losing to Canada quite in, in a very ugly fashion. So, I mean, Canada's a really good team. Of course they are. But, you know, you, you would expect Iran to play a bit better than they did. And again, some weird numbers coming out of the Iranian team. Very inefficient offense, hitting 33% as a team, which is one of the lowest marks. I think only maybe Tunisia and Venezuela are lower. Milad Abadapur, like Zaitsev, hitting that magic number 19% efficiency. So Abadapur is really struggling as well. And I feel like he's been struggling, I would say, since like two-thirds of the way through the season with Skra Belchatov. I'm not sure if it's an injury. That's always the most likely, most obvious answer or, or what's going on. But he did not play well in VNL either. And, and overall, Iran did not play that well in VNL. So I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with him. But Ibadabor, a player that I've rated quite highly in the past as a pretty premier option outside hitter, probably has been Iran's second best player after Maru for, for a few years now, ever since Musavi started declining. So they'll definitely need more from him if they want to make a, a run here at the playoffs. But overall, overall for Iran, their offense is terrible. The way they have been playing well and beating teams like Poland has been through their serving, which have been one of the better serving teams. I feel like Iran is maybe underrated in that aspect. Some really tough jump servers on that team. And also their blocking has been quite good. Again, Musavi struggling on offense, actually doing pretty well on blocking. They're pretty disciplined. Vladimir Lenk, I don't, I don't know how much you can credit him for the blocking system, the blocking discipline, but they have been good on that end so far. And that's probably why he chose this uh, second middle. Who I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie and say I'm super familiar with. Uh, I think I believe his name is Mojarod, but he's not giving you a ton in offense. But but again, very strong blocker, at least for for the level of player he is. So I'm not sure. Anyway, my thesis is why why is why are we always like Maruf is one of the best setters in the world. He's this incredible player, but why has he consistently not been able to run efficient offenses over the past few months? Maybe he's starting to decline a bit here, guys. Maybe Maruf, for all his flash, the risk-taking and the errors that he's prone to making are starting to, you know, eclipse the level of skill he has. And, you know, I love Maruf. He's like a must-watch volleyball player for me. He's incredibly entertaining. The level, I mean, he's, the level of skill he has is absolutely mind-blowing. What he's able to do at the setter position just in terms of purely how creative and how talented you are with your hands he's probably the best setter of all time but you know he he, he is the decision making is not there right now and it's not giving iran very many chances to score so yeah I, i'm not sure what the solution is here for iran i think it needs to start probably with more abatapur than maruf since i i doubt at this point that maruf is going to start playing safer and the last team in pool a venezuela don't really have much to say about them 
other than one of their middles is hitting 26% efficiency. Only one player on their entire roster is hitting above 30%. So as you can see, they're struggling a little bit, but actually they did manage to take a set off of Poland today, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but yeah, Venezuela, unfortunately, we could have seen Bulgaria in this spot, which would have been a lot more interesting. I think they could have given some of the teams in this pool some trouble. And even if the system wasn't, you know, allocating spots this way, we could have seen like Serbia or Slovenia or even a Cuba would have been really fun to see in these positions. Or even even Australia or or even Korea probably would have been better than Venezuela. But as much as the system sucks with the team distribution now, I'm hoping one day we can have three teams, at least in South America, and a couple of good teams in Africa, which I actually do think there is a possibility of that one day. And then, and then the Olympics will be a thing of beauty with representation and good teams from every continent. All right, we are done with Pool A. So come with me, guys. Come cross the river Styx into the depths of hell. That is Pool B of the Olympics because it has been a bloodbath so far. In my opinion, it's lived up to the expectations we had for this pool, which is that it was going to be unpredictable. It was going to be difficult. A very deserving team was going to be left out of the playoffs. And yeah, that's exactly... I think so far how it's how it's opened up still not over yet in pool B so before we start with team USA let's go over the situation in pool B and what what's what can happen the rest of the way so kind of like pool A I mean maybe I'm simplifying things here guys but in my opinion uh, USA Brazil Russia all through Russia especially is undefeated so far the only undefeated team in the tournament having a iconic 3-0 win against Brazil just earlier today. So, I mean, yes, there are scenarios that I think USA and Brazil could still miss the playoffs, but for me, those are unlikely enough to uh, consider consider going over. We'll see. Um, we'll have a lot more answers on July 30th when Brazil plays USA and Obviously, whichever team wins that is going to go through. And then the loser, Brazil, will play France and USA will play Argentina. So, yeah, it's not it's not completely out of the weeds yet, but likely those teams will go through. For me, the battle is between France and Argentina for that last spot in Pool B. And so far, it looks like Argentina has a pretty good advantage head start in this race because they have one of their remaining games is against Tunisia who, like Venezuela and Poulet, isn't winning anything. Like, they're just as bad as Venezuela. Uh, not, I think they took a set off of the USA, but other than that have... And I think France, too, actually. But that those because those teams were not trying that hard in those particular sets, none of those teams were ever going to give up two sets against Tunisia and lose that precious point. And, yeah. So Argentina's probably an auto-win there against Tunisia. Then last game against the USA, whereas... France has to play Russia undefeated so far and also has to play Brazil in their last game. The current VNL champions, they lost against Russia, but I mean, and actually almost lost against Argentina. So <laughs> that's probably France's better bet to, uh, to get through uh, the rematch of the 2017 World League Finals. And actually France does play uh, Brazil pretty closely. Actually, the more I talk about it, the more I... 
France versus Brazil. That'd be exciting if that was a decider. Anyway, France would have to get more points between those games than Argentina, which is going to be tough because Argentina is essentially going to start with an auto 3-0 win. But France is ahead one point already. So that gives them the advantage there. We'll see. Uh, again, we're going to know a lot more after July 30th. So that's the situation with Pool B. Let's get into the individual team analysis, starting with Team USA standing at 2-1 and one so far. I would say looking quite impressive. They had a, that huge win against France, coming right out of the gate, making a statement, basically saying that, yeah, we were not trying during VNL, which, I mean, we all knew that, but this is they're just telling the world, like, this is the real team. We have top 10 players at pretty much every position. Our middles were faking playing badly during, <laughs> during the VNL to trick you guys. And USA is a medal contender, which I've, I've been saying, I said in the previews with Rob, uh, if DeFalco is playing well, and he has been playing well during the Olympics as well, I think if any players increased his stock more over the past couple months, other than Micheletto, it's probably DeFalco is up there. He looks like a star right now. And, you know, like I said, if DeFalco can hit in the 40%, 45-whatever percent efficiency, he gives you a lot of the service line. He's a good backward defender. Definitely not the best passer. I've heard him referred to as Mr. Overpass a couple of times this Olympics so far. But if he gets to that those high-efficiency attacking numbers, like he, he is replacing, like, 80% to 85 to 90% of what Aaron Russell uh, was giving you. So it's not as much of a downgrade as people think. And okay, so granted, so far he's only hitting 36%, so he's not quite there yet, but still some time to get to that mark. Taylor Sander, the other outside hitter for Team USA, I mean, to me, it's still like almost underrated. I don't understand what it is, maybe because he's a shorter player, maybe because he's so, I guess, unassuming, quiet, not a big social media presence. Not a big personality, but Taylor Sander has literally been one of the best statistical players in all of volleyball for like three years now. And even people were saying he had a bad season in Scrub Eltertov when he basically was the only reason that team was winning uh, any games for the most part. There, there are a couple other players. But uh, yeah, Taylor Sander, again, probably one of the best statistical players in the Olympics and definitely the best on Team USA, hitting 45% efficiency, uh, 2.19 passing out of three. So he's the best passer and the best hitter on Team USA. And, you know, looked great from the service line, has good energy on the team, and just he's just an all-around baller. I, you'll see when I put out my top 10 rankings, guys, but I'm going to have Taylor Sander extremely high, I think higher maybe than than a lot of people would expect. And, and for me, he's him and Micah Christensen and Eric Shoji are like the core of this team right now. Matt Anderson uh, is playing pretty well for taking so much time off, but uh, not really attacking that well, only hitting 33% efficiency. He's been struggling to really score on those out-of-system balls that maybe a couple of years ago that he was, uh, he was hitting a bit more efficiently on. Again, like, like I just mentioned, Eric Shoji has been fantastic as well. 23 digs, one of the highest in the tournament. He's my second libero with a Yamamoto on that list. Actually, I, I, f I forgot to mention the, one of the other libero's. Blair Ban on Canada also leading the tournament in digs. A very underrated Blair Ban. And yeah, we only have one more libero left on that list. And he is the league leader at the Olympics so far in digs. And let's see if you guys can guess who it is. But anyway, Team USA, medal contender, gold medal contender. Uh, if they finish... I feel like they should try and gun for that second place spot in Pool B, though, because that would mean probably matching up with either 
like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, either a Japan or Iran probably, which is a much e- easier matchup than Italy and or Poland. Next up, we have another kind of surprise of the tournament, and maybe not in a good way. Brazil, I mean, they still won two games sitting at 2-1, and one, but had a very dicey one against Argentina where they lost the first two sets and then were down pretty big in the third set, almost dropped at 3-0. Great comeback, gutty comeback, managed to come back, win in five sets. Actually, one of the better comebacks I've seen uh, in the Olympics, like, ever. But... I mean, if, can you imagine if they lost Argentina 3-0? That would have been devastating. Then they come out today and put up a stinker against Russia, who was blocking well. They were defending well. But still, Brazil could not figure out Russia at all. And this is the team that we were praising so much, um, so much at the VNL finals. And this is why, guys, this is why I it's was insane when people were like, yeah, Brazil versus Poland, pretty much inevitably that's going to be the the Olympic finals. Guys, I, okay, they met up in the World Championships and VNL, but there are so many other good teams in this tournament, and just from a talent point of view, Brazil doesn't really stand out from these other top teams. Yes, they're extremely elite. Yes, I mean, they have a fantastic bench as well, but it's not like they're so much more talented on paper than the rest of the rosters, like maybe a Poland is. Um, but let's look into a little bit of why Brazil has been struggling, at least compared to their standards. Uh, the two biggest factors, two biggest players, are Yohandi Leal and Wallace D'Souza, who have just been really, I don't know, they've been struggling to score the ball. And they don't look horrible out there, but then when you look at their numbers, it's like 5 for 18 with 6 errors. They both hit negative against Russia today. Uh, and I feel like they're just missing, they're missing wide on balls they would usually touch hands on. They're missing, you know, the top of hands. Um, especially Yoandi Leal is a, is a player who almost never goes for the floor. He's always going for hands and he's just missing them. Wallace has not been able to connect with Bruno, which is crazy to me considering uh, they've been playing together so long. And there's this theory that a lot of people throw out there, which I personally have disagreed with strongly in the past, which is that you know players are preparing for a peak. Uh, you know, a period of a couple weeks where all the training, all the physical training, all the nutrition, whatever, comes together at a very specific point in time. And that uh, Brazil, in deciding to peak for the VNL, uh, you know, they're on the downswing for the Olympics. And I know there's, there's there are a lot of, you know, coaches with way more experience, way more knowledge than I do in terms of sports performance that, that uh, listen to this philosophy. But I don't know, I feel like I feel like that's not that's too easy an explanation for explaining away why Brazil's struggling. Like really, these guys are elite athletes. They train at a very high level all year. They had time off to rest and prepare and train between VNL and Olympics. There's not like what would they do differently to peak for the VNL on like uh, that would if explain this much of a difference in play than. Uh, peaking at the Olympics. I, I don't think that's the reason. Maybe, you know, it's 5%, 10% of the reason. But, you know, I, I think there's other reasons why Brazil is not playing as well, whether it's just not being able to communicate, not the scouting, the coaching is at the same level. I think Bruno is struggling a bit. I think blockers are doing a great job of reading where he's going. And then guys like Leal and Wallace are are struggling to make up for the fact when they have that really solid block in front of them. 
And actually, you know, a little similar to Canada's situation, Brazil's uh, pretty low in terms of making errors. They're, they're serving well. They're only serving 12% errors, which is really good. Uh, they're not making that many errors on attacking or reception either, kind of like they did in VNL. They were also, they, I mean, they've always been a very talented, skilled, low error team. But I guess like Canada, I'm, to a lesser extent, it's maybe causing them to play a bit tighter. You know, when they make that part of your identity that we're just, you know, we're so talented, we're so ridiculously skilled in volleyball that we're just going to, you know, out-talent you, we're just going to make less errors. When that's your reputation, when that's where you hang your hat on, then when that's not happening, when you are making those kind of silly attacking errors or silly uh, blocking errors, then it can start to spiral out of control. And again, it's only it's only one loss for Brazil, but and one almost loss, but lots of time to, to come back. But yeah, it's going to be very revealing in the next couple of games for Brazil, which direction it's going to go. Uh, based on Brazil's past, I expect them to fully bounce back and be fine. But again, a couple, couple strong opponents coming up here in USA and France. So Brazil is probably my biggest wild card of like this entire tournament right now. The next for a team that's pretty much in the opposite situation from Brazil is Rock. Or, or Russia, but there's an opportunity to call the team Rock, so I'm just going to call them the Rock. So the Rock had a big statement win against two statement wins, actually. One against the USA and also one against um, Brazil just today. Uh, you know, pretty impressive stuff from the Rock. Uh, I think people were maybe down on them after they had the disappointing showing at VNL, which myself and I believe Rob also pick them to win VNL because you know I'm going to toot my own horn here but we saw the kind of elite potential that that they had you know playing this really high level blocking game I mean they're just blocking circles around everyone especially Ivan Yakovlev which we'll come back to in a bit but yeah the you know they have great size they have really good energy they're one of the younger teams so they still have fresh legs um, and they've just been playing extremely well they've had a good few good bench performances as well uh, but again it all comes back to so far i think with uh, the rock with the blocking and that's spearheaded by uh maybe i think we have to uh, put him in contention for like the best blocker in volleyball right now and a guy that was missing that from vnl that maybe they would have done better if he was there but ivan yakovlev has been amazing he's just like a stretchy rubber band man who can has like psychic powers to see where the set's going. He's so good at reading the ball. And even if he's like a microsecond late, he has just such good extension on his arms, these long arms that he's able to get effective blocks and even like go look at Ivan Yakovlev's feet when he's blocking. Because half the time, I swear, he's not setting up his feet properly at all. He's jumping off of one foot. He's like doing this goofy footed, like weird jumps, but he still always has his hands and blocks shaped in the exact right position. And it ends up with him uh, touching a ton of balls, getting a bunch of kill blocks. And an interesting stat, him and, you know, him and Artem Volvich both have the same number of kill blocks. I think it's five or six, but Yakovlev is touching or slash slowing down double the number of blocks that Volvich is. Uh, Yakovlev is blocking 15% of the balls while he's on the court, or not even while he's on the court. I think that's total attacks. Ivan Yakovlev is touching 15% of them, crazy high number. I think the best that I saw out of all the middle blockers. So he is still underrated. I, feel, I still feel like the average volleyball fan is still not clued into the fact that Yakovlev is like one of the best middles in the world. 
And and again, another another stat that shows the level of the Russians' defense. Opponents are hitting 25% efficiency against Russia so far. They're hitting Venezuela levels. Like Russia's block is elite, and even once you get past their block, for a bunch of big guys, they do a pretty good job of picking the ball up. And also they're putting a lot of service pressure on. So you know, teams are just not able to run in system and then trying to manage to make something happen against Russia's really disciplined, really tall block while hitting out a system. Yeah, like, good luck. Uh, you saw, you've seen a lot of players like uh, like Brazil with the Allen Wallace and then Matt Anderson struggling with that concept already. I feel like the opposites against Russia just don't know what to do because they're, you know, they're if you're asked to hit an out of system ball against Dmitry Volkov and or Igor Kaliuka, that's not the normal outside hitter you're, you're hitting against. So it's, it's been a struggle, and I think The Rock uh, is definitely a contender. Would I say that the favorite now after the pool phase? No, I think it's an overreaction to say that. I still think, I still think it's too small a sample size. I think overall probably Poland has better numbers. The USA, I think, could still take them in a rematch. But, I mean, Brazil, obviously, too. We'll see what happens in their next couple of games are a big test. So I'd still say those four teams are the four contenders. Maybe Italy a little bit as well. But The Rock has definitely made sure that everyone knows that VNL was not for real. This is the real tournament, which, which is true. It's true. All right, we're almost done here. Another team that had a disappointing run in the Olympics so far, and like I mentioned earlier, has a pretty good shot of not making it through, is France who I don't I, I always say that coaching is not that big a factor in volleyball. Once the players are out on the court, there's really not that many ways in volleyball that a coach can impact the game, can you know talk strategy a bit from the sideline, make a couple subs. But overall, I would say in game and probably overall coaching is a little less valuable in volleyball, but I ha- I mean I like Laurent Tilly. I've met him before. He's a really nice guy, really smart like coach and he's done a great job with this French team over the years but I I definitely have to disagree with some of the decisions he made coming into the tournament and that he's currently making at the tournament so coming into the tournament I think he really should have brought Thibaut Rossard and probably should have brought him both over Yassine Luati and over Kevin Tilly because as much as Kevin Tilly looked like Wilfredo Leon's brother during the VNL he has regressed to the normal Kevin Tilly that we've seen in club season and over the past few years, which is remarkably unremarkable. And he's basically a wasted roster spot at this point, which is especially concerning for France, given the way that one of their outside hitters is playing, and that's Irvin Engapet, who, again, I mean, he has very similar numbers to VNL, hitting about 30% efficiency, uh, a bit sluggish, missing a few pretty easy covers, standing up on defense, you know, making some misread plays. Probably, he, you know, he did one of his trademark windmill attacks, which was incredible to watch when he was younger and a bit more jumpy and athletic. But now, now it's just not working because the thing about those moves is that you need to, you know, you, need, you still need to be really athletic and really, you know, coordinated to pull that off. And I don't know what it is. I think Inga Pets, he, he looks pretty out of shape. And I, I don't know. His focus, his mind doesn't seem to be in the game. And, you know, if you were looking at this from an outsider perspective, ignoring egos and personalities, you're like, no way Irvin Engapet should be starting on France right now. 
The thing is, Kevin Tilly, the coach's son, you decided to bring him, but and he's not going to be much of an improvement. Yasin Lawati, who is great when he's the third option on Yastrzemski Vegil, but when you're asking him to be a starter in the Olympics, it's a little different. And I'm just, I just can't believe that uh, Thibaut Rossard wasn't included in this roster, given his skill set of a very strong attacker, a very strong server. Seems like a couple things that this French team for sure could have used. And one player who I haven't mentioned so far, the outside hitter, is Trevor Cleveno, who so far has been by far and away France's best outside hitter, probably their best player overall, hitting an absurd 55% hitting efficiency as an outside hitter, doing so with his usual combination of half brute force, half, you know, this delicate, you know, French touch of just placing the ball delicately over the block or wiping it off of hands. Again, I'm biased. I'm a huge Trevor Cleveno fan. So, you know, I've been watching him for years. Uh, I think he's fantastic, super underrated. And, but, you know, there's only so far he can carry the team. Stefan Boyer, like in VNL, is, is pretty much gone. He's, he's almost unplayable at this point. Jean Patry is okay. Uh, but overall, I mean, France is, is just struggling. Like this this team, you realize how much of a role Irvin Engevet played in this team over the past few years. And Trevor Cleveno is doing a great job. He's probably, you know, playing about as well as Irvin Engebet has over the past few years. But yeah, I feel like just like Kubiak, Engebet was like a bit of an emotional leader on the team. So when he's, you know, not, when he's standing up on covers, when he's, you know, not diving for balls like he used to, when he's not um, doing all these little things that, you know, getting the team in the game, he's, he doesn't really have the capacity to, to perform at that level anymore. But I will say, on the one hand, I think I think like for Engapet, that's it's not really a permanent problem. It seems like most of the issues in his play are due to his weight. Like he definitely looks a little overweight, and also in, in his fitness is you can see him like sweating buckets out there when he's playing on the court. And also his mental game, he doesn't seem to be. I'm not I'm not a sports performance analyst. It's not my area of expertise, but he doesn't seem to be a, a you know focus. He seems to be distracted. He seems to be making silly errors. He doesn't seem to be locked in 100% of the time, which, you know, volleyball is is a sport where you can, you know, take a, a few seconds off and nobody will notice it. But, you know, we've seen multiple times where Irvin Engapet has missed easy covers or, or easy blocks. He's he's getting tooled almost 70% of the time on his blocks. So just another random stat to show uh, that he is not playing that well. But yeah, ultimately, if... if Laurent Tilly had had the confidence to both bring Rosard and bench Irvin Engapet, I think France would have been in a much better position than they are now. I understand why he made the decisions he did. And, you know, a lot of people were saying Kevin Tilly, you know, this he's the answer for France. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, ultimately he may end up making the wrong decisions and it'll probably end up costing France a spot in the Olympic playoffs. And finally, we have... Argentina, who's actually been playing pretty well so far, would have been in a much better position had they won that game against Brazil uh, the other day. But currently sitting at one and two, tied with France. They have three points to France's four points, beating the French in five sets just earlier today for two points, taking one point off of Brazil, losing in five sets. And then getting crushed by the rock but everyone's getting crushed by the rock so not a big deal but yeah i would say argentina may be a bit of a pleasant surprise that they're even still in the conversation at this point 
Uh, the biggest storylines for me for Argentina, let me know if you guys agree with it based on what you've been watching, but Santiago Donani, for me, he's like ascended to the next tier of libero. He's the best passer in the tournament. And also, I alluded to this earlier, but he's the best digger in the tournament, the most digs out of any libero in the tournament. And he's leading all outside hitters, all liberos in reception. So Donani is like taking it to the next level. He's an amazing libero. He, for me, is right up there in the big four conversation of... Uh, Jenny Grabenikov, Eric Shoji, Pavel Zatorski, and I think we got to add Santiago Donani to the mix. He is completely elite. Great pickup by Berlin, um, getting Donani for next season. Uh, I feel like Trentino's really going to regret letting him go. But the rest of the team, they have these great passers. Again, we, I feel like Argentina's a team we predicted very well because we were like, they're going to pass well, and... You know, they can run a really good in-system offense through the middles, but if they're not setting their middles, the outside hitters are going to struggle, except for Conte. But the thing is, just like in VNL, Conte has been absolutely atrocious. I, I don't know what's going on with him, but if he's injured again, you never know what, what's going on with these guys. But he's hitting 23% efficiency, which is horrible. Terrible, like, bottom-of-the-league efficiency. But the, uh, the other issue is, two, well, actually, two issues. One issue... He has 90 attacking attempts, which is the second most on the team, only behind Bruno Lima, the opposite. And also, his other outside hitter running mate, Ezekiel Policios, not sure if I said that right, but he's also playing very poorly, hitting 25% efficiency on 63 attempts. So essentially, Argentina is just bleeding points by setting it to the outside, which is a really tough situation to be in if you basically have your two players who are supposed to be your most reliable attackers, the outside hitter, and you're just, you almost feel like you can't set them because they're just hitting into the block. They're trying to hit hands and missing. They're a lot of like hitting wide. And I don't really want, I can't really blame this on Luciano De Checo. I think he's, I mean, he's extreme, one of the best setters in the world, but he definitely seems to be a lot more comfortable setting it to the middle. And I mean, we saw that in Lubitschiv to Nova a lot as well. He's, he's, yeah, I feel like position four has always been the weakness, if there is a weakness to Luciano De Checo's setting. He's actually, I feel like I almost would rather him set position one or two than position four. Uh, I don't know how you have someone who's better at setting behind him than in front of him, but Luciano De Checo, he's, he's, he's an interesting setter. And the Argentinian middles have been playing pretty well. Augustin Lozere leading their team in efficiency. Again, not that surprising. We knew that Argentina was going to play through their middles as much as they possibly could afford to do. And if I were them, I would even lean into it more and just force middle from literally every position. Just, I feel like that's the only chance they have of, of taking a games off better teams. So Argentina plays Tunisia. Should be a 3-0 or 3-1 worst case. And that really... Puts them in a solid position, depending on how France does when they play USA, who I, I do expect the way things are going. I do expect USA, especially they're able to put a little more service pressure than a lot of these teams. Probably should be able to break down Argentina again, win 3-0 or 3-1, full points. And I don't know. It, we'll see. It's going to be tight between France and Argentina. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, France, now that I've been thinking about it during the podcast more... <laughs> I feel like France actually has a, a shot now at, at, at taking out, taking down Brazil. So Pool B and, and Pool A, really both pools are going to come down to the wire to determine the last few playoff spots. And again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, join us 
on the European Volleyball Show this Friday afternoon if you're in Europe or morning if you're in North America. And Rob and I will break it down once we know a couple more games and then the final deciders this weekend. Uh, it's going to be very fun, very exciting last few days. The Olympic volleyball has been great. I would say even like you can pretty much throw half the predictions we made out the window because it's just been upsets and, and surprise five setters and comebacks and just a whole bunch of wackiness. I, I really wish there were fans in the arena to watch all this, but at least this is a lot better than not having the Olympics at all. Let's, let's be honest. It's been great. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening to an hour solo podcast for probably the very few of you who made it this far. Um, yeah, European Volleyball Show on Friday, probably another podcast. We'll see. Maybe, maybe another podcast during the playoffs, maybe before the semifinals. We'll see. But stay tuned on all my channels for more updates, uh, more podcasts, and hope you guys are enjoying the Olympics as much as I have, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.